Hey there, thank you so much for joining us for our Big Time Talker podcast, live and nationwide. You can download us with fresh episodes every Tuesday at Spotify, Apple, iTunes, iHeartMedia, wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to tell a friend if you like what you hear. We talk to thought leaders every week, thanks to our friends at SpeakerMatch.com, sponsors of Big Time Talker podcast. If you are a speaker or maybe you're a meeting planner, the local Kiwanis Club, Lions Club, the JCs, you need a speaker, uh, find one another at the online marketplace at speakermatch.com. Tax time is upon us. And so we wanted to talk money with somebody who knows of what they speak. Marco Salinas is the director of the Financial Recovery Center of San Antonio, Texas. He's also president of Credit 360 Consulting. He's been doing this a long time. He's certified uh, credit professional consumer credit counselor, does a lot of work in consumer credit and debt relief, also an Amazon bestselling author, and longtime radio host of the Credit 360 radio show on News Talk 930 KLUP in San Antonio. Marco, thanks for being here today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Bert. So let's dive right in. Taxes, something no one wants to pay, but it is that time of the year. What are the big mistakes that that your clients have made uh, in filing their taxes or not filing their taxes that that maybe you can pass along some missteps that that you've seen down through the years that our listeners can avoid? So I think um, within the within the world that I am in with the credit credit uh, and debt uh, relief space, the, the, the number one thing that comes to mind with taxes is whenever you have any type of debt forgiveness, um, that creditor is typically going to send you a 1099 for the, the amount of debt that was forgiven. And so sometimes people end up with large amounts of debt that get forgiven, which is a very good thing. However, many times they don't see that big giant um, tax burden coming because they literally send you a 1099. Like as if you, you know, had some sort of a side job or side hustle or something, or you were doing Uber or something on the side and you made an extra $30,000 that year, an extra $10,000, what have you, you're going to get a 1099 for the forgiven amount. And you can't just ignore it. You can't just pretend like it's not there. Otherwise, uh, well, you can, but, you know, uh, <laughs> there's ramifications, right? You run afoul so, of the big guys. That's correct. That's correct. So um, within within my world and within my space, um, that's usually the number one issue that we find when it comes to taxes is um, obviously people need help. People need to reduce their their uh, debt liabilities that they have, but they sometimes fail to see or understand that there are tax implications um, with that forgiven debt amount if you go through a traditional um, debt settlement process. So to the extent that I am involved with that, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't consider myself a tax expert, but that's what I've seen in, in terms of what I'm doing and tying it in with with tax problems. Um, I like to just raise more awareness of that because right now we're we're obviously we're in a difficult economy. More and more people are signing up for these types of um, you know debt relief programs that are out there, and so that needs to be something that's also kept in mind it's like yeah i need to i need to get the debt under control but i do need to be aware 
that I am going to receive some sort of a, a extra uh, tax you know, burden there by getting that debt forgiven. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think a lot of people probably don't think about that. Taxes are this big, scary, mystery thing for most people, right? You you go to H&R Block or you go to your accountant and you kind of hand them the, the shoebox full of receipts and you really don't know what happens on the other end. Um, the other thing that happens this time of year that I really wanted to talk to you about is, uh, you know, kids are going away to college. And it's it's a huge transition for many families. It's a huge bite for a lot of families. And it's a bigger bite than a lot of families can take on. Um, I'm personally paying close attention to that. I have a senior in high school. He's looking at state schools. He's looking at, at uh, one private school. You work a lot in the space of student debt and student debt forgiveness. And there's an awful lot of data out there about it. But I want to get sort of your take as somebody, Marco, who has to try to unwind that afterwards. If you were going to advise uh, a mom and dad or a student right now at this time where they're making their college decisions, what would you tell them about taking out a student loan? Gosh, Bert, that is such a loaded question right there. That's what I'm here for. That is, yeah, I mean, you really, really hit that hot button question that is that is kind of the um that is one of the hottest of the hot um things that i get you know type of i'm look people come to me seeking advice on that um and there's a couple of ways to look at this number one one of the things that i preach and it is very countercultural, and people do get upset sometimes and they do get their feathers ruffled but i think if they could just take a deep breath and hear me out okay and give this real consideration I think it might benefit them in the long run, okay? For the last 13 years, I have been looking at credit reports almost every single day. And in the last 13 years, there's almost always one item that stands out the most. It's kind of the elephant in the room. And that is the insurmountable amount of student loan debt that most people possess, that most people carry. Now. That's the first thing that I noticed. Then the, then the conversation goes into, tell me a little bit about your student loan situation. Tell me about that. And invariably, they almost always mention that some form of regret. Usually, it's along the lines of, I went to college for this, and then now I'm doing something that doesn't even, that's not even relevant to what I went to college for. Right. So the, the number one advice that I give is, first and foremost, before you make the decision to spend all that money and enter into that agreement and, and, and obtain all that student debt, please make sure that you pump the brakes and give very, very heavy consideration to every option that's out there. This is not the 1980s anymore. This is not the 1970s anymore. We now have an, uh, basically an unlimited amount of information at our fingertips. Um, there's no shortage of, of available knowledge that's out there. Now, granted, right? If your calling is to be a lawyer, if your calling is to go into medicine and to be a doctor, uh, to be a counselor and these type of things, you're not going to be able to get around not going to college. Right. So there's that. Right. But that's actually represents a kind of a, a small portion of people. The great majority of people are in a position where they really have a lot of options in front of them. They can go, they could go to college. Obviously they can go get some sort of a skilled trade. They can learn how to code. 
They can learn other technology-related things on their own. They can get certificates that go a long way that are a lot less affordable, but a lot of employers still hold those in, in high regard. Sure. And then my favorite one is I always like to remind people, don't forget that there is still that option of being self-employed. Okay. Um, historically, we used to have a lot more people self-employed than what we do today. Personally, I think it's because the, the public school system took up the initiative that they were just going to push this driving force of college, 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 college. Everybody needs to go to college. If you don't go to college somehow, some way, you're just, you're not, like you haven't succeeded. Right. And so I'm doing this reversal of brainwashing, so to speak, whenever I talk to people, because I'm like, listen, I see the damage. That's what you don't understand. I get the inside track on the credit report. I'm hearing the stories. I'm talking to the people that are going through difficult times. They're emotional. They're stressed out. They're having, um, they're having marriage problems. They're having relationship problems. Because one spouse is saying, I don't even want to marry you since you got all that debt, you know, and the, the other person is saying, well, if I could go back in time, I would have done things differently. And so I think we need to take this very seriously. If you or I were to go and apply for some sort of a $100,000 loan to go do something, we would, everybody that would be involved in that transaction would be giving this lots of consideration. Sure. They would, they would want to know what kind of income are you making right now? What kind of reserves do you have? What kind of assets do you have? The list would go on and on and on. And in my opinion, I still think it would be better to give people $100,000 to go start a business than to put it towards necessarily an educational loan, which may or may not work out. But the government is, of course, there to be that safety net, which, as we can see, is not really going very well in the big picture of things. So that's kind of the first thing, Burke. Well, you need to give a lot of consideration. Make sure it's the right path. If you're still kind of unsure, but you do want to at least kind of start getting your feet wet and moving in that direction, go with the least expensive option by default. Right. Go with the community college. Go with the state college before you go to the big giant university. Try to get over some of the emotional um, connections that college still possesses, like I want to be able to put the bumper sticker on the back of my car to brag that my kid goes to XYZ school, right? I want to be able to wear the ball cap that says my kid goes to XYZ school. The parents need to take a little bit of a pause and say, am I doing this for, to, to get out my own little, um, you know, desires to, to impress the neighbors? Am I going to send my kid down this pathway of $50,000 of debt just to go ahead and, and make myself look a little bit better? So I can wear the you sweatshirt? Know, those, yeah. Correct, correct. I understand it's cool, it's fun, it, it's, it's something to be proud of. I get that. But is it worth putting your kid in a position where they have debt attached or basically around their neck for the great majority of their life? Because that's really a lot of times what this stuff equals out to. The best scenarios that I've seen, Burke, as far as debt forgiveness are people that go into service jobs like teachers, police, fire, um, and certain, yes, certain medical type things, um, and of course, education. Um, but those people have to stick with that for a solid 10 years. They have to stay in that world for 10 years, and then whatever debt is left after they've paid on it for 10 years, that gets forgiven. So worst case scenario, you're on the hook for a solid decade, 
and you're still going to be making payments on that thing for a solid decade, but you have to stay in those, um, in those fields. And there's one thing worth noting about all those fields. None of them really pay exceptionally well. Right. And that's why they are service jobs because you're basically saying, I'm going to take a job where I forego making a quarter of a million dollar a year salary for a $55,000 a year salary as a teacher. And I'm not really going to make a lot of money, but if I can stick with this thing for 10 years, then I can get some of that debt forgiven. As of right now, as of today, as of this airing, that's the best case scenario. And that's so not a great a case. Correct. Correct. So I think that as a worst case scenario, all those things need to be taken into account for anyone that has um, a child that's going into that world. Be cognizant of all of those things and have an open mind. College is not for everybody. Um, and, you know, I grew up, Marco, in a very blue collar area in, in a little coal mining town in the Appalachians. And in that day, there were lots of, of young guys that went into trade schools, you know, and they it became mining repair guys or, uh, you know, uh, auto mechanics or whatever. And, and you know, the, the world is hurting for tradesmen now. They're hurting for a plumber. You live in a major metropolitan area, you need to get some plumbing work done or you need to get a contracting work done. It's hard to find those skilled tradesmen now. Um so it sounds to me like if you were advising moms and dads, you would encourage the kid maybe to get a, a, a side job while he's in college, as opposed to taking on that student loan debt. Oh yeah. Yeah. That that's, that's, it's gotta be that way. And there's so many different uh, available, you know, it's very popular to call them side hustles Yep. nowadays. Right. Um, there's so many options nowadays. Now you're still going to be tired. You're going to be drained. You're going to be working. You're going to be going to school. You're going to be pushing really hard. But, hey, the good news is, is that you're young. You've got a lot of energy. You've got a lot of freedom. There's, there's really very minimal you know, constraints on you. And so why not take advantage of that? And to your point, Burke, I'm a big fan of a, of a gentleman by the name of Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe is the dirty jobs guy. Oh, right? yeah. And that's kind, of, that's kind of his life's mission. He's trying to make, you know, raise awareness of the fact that there are a lot of other jobs out there, though they may not be glamorous, but they pay very well. And the world needs and they're, them. They're, and they're in demand, correct. They're yep. very much in demand. And so um, I, I'm a big proponent of that. I have friends that own, uh, I have a friend that owns a plumbing company. I have a friend that owns an HVAC company. These are million dollar a year businesses and they're not doing anything particularly you know, um, out of the ordinary, they're just serving people's basic needs. May not be glamorous, but there is honor in serving other people. Hundred percent, a hundred percent. You got to be willing to get a little, a little bit dirty. Obviously, that's but, all right. You, know, you do that for a couple of years, and like, like in, in the example of, of these friends of mine, um, they did it for two or three years, and then they started hiring people, and so. Now they're like five or seven years into it, and they're not getting dirty at all. They're just actually, the only thing they're getting dirty in is they're rolling around in their dollars. That's about it. <laughs> Marco Salinas, our guest well. today on the Big Time Talker podcast. He is based in San Antonio, president of Credit 360 Consulting. He uh, helps people get out of debt. And I, I would assume 
that there are an awful lot of people that, that you run into, and I was one of those people earlier in my life, that live um, in a payment mentality. If I can make the monthly payments, I'm kind of okay. But there's a real danger in that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a tremendous danger. And the number one place that gets you on that is the car dealership. The car dealership is very um, uh, payment-focused. Meanwhile, you walk out of that car dealership with a interest rate that is absolutely horrific. And so a lot of times what I do, I have, we have this little calculator that we built where when we're looking at the credit report, we plug in the information that's on the report. So the credit report will give you the amount of months that it was financed. It will tell you what the monthly payment is on the thing. And then, of course, it tells you what the original loan amount was. And if I plug those three items into the calculator, it spits out the interest rate for me. So our process a lot of times is, you know, we're, we're, we're wanting to educate people on where their money is disappearing. And so we'll a lot of times say, hey, you know, uh, what's your interest rate? A lot of times they'll say, ah, I really don't know, but I, I don't think it's very good. Well, let's, how about we, we really figure this out? So we plug that information in. Most of the time it's over 15%. Um, many times it's 20%. The highest that it goes is about 25, 26. I think that's the most that they allow by law, actually. Um, and so when you go to these tote-the-note type places or when you go to these, um, there's, there's, there's car dealerships that specialize in bad credit, you're going to get 20 to 25% interest, right? And so then when I hit another button on our calculator, it spits out kind of this quick little amortization uh, report. I, I don't know why I can't speak today, but um, it, it, it shows all the numbers, right? And, and the incredible thing is, is that, I'll actually highlight, like, listen to this. You could have, you could buy the vehicle twice. Right. By the time you're done financing th this thing, the car was, let's just say the car was 20 grand, which that's getting harder to find these days. But let's just say the car was 20 grand. You're going to pay 40 grand for the thing after 72 months. Absolutely. I mean, that's just, that happens every day. So that's because you're so focused on that payment. Well, I can afford... 400 a month and the car dealer is going like this no problem we'll serve that right up and they end up giving you exactly what you're asking for but over seven years at a horrible interest rate you're not even thinking about it and you buy the car twice so let Doesn't me ask you this like it... i haven't i haven't thank god been in this situation in a while but if if you are in a situation where your credit is jacked up and you got to have a car to go to work uh, or you've got to have whatever that thing is. You've got to have, you've got to have furniture. There are certainly predatory businesses that will come after you, you know, with, with super high interest rates to get that furniture, but you got to have a bed to sleep in super high interest rates, you know, to, to get you that car, but you got to have it to get to work. When, when people come to you like that, what do you do? How do you help them? What, what is job one for you to help unwind that problem? Because I would assume that a lot of folks that come through your doors are in that situation. And many times, you know, they, they've made bad life choices, but that doesn't make them bad people. Right. So what do you do? Right. How do you start 100%. unwinding that? How do you unpeel that onion, Marco? So that's an excellent question, Burke. And really what that, the, the core 
of that question boils down to a lack of financial education, right? Right. The majority of the people that are getting into those scenarios, nobody told them to expect things like that. A lot of times, maybe they're, they're, uh, one of the parents wasn't in their life. The dad, usually in particular, is not there. Um, and so mom is over there just like, you know, trying to survive. She didn't really have a whole lot of time to even give that kind of life advice right. because, you know, she's doing it all by herself and what have you. So there's a lot of different scenarios like that that play out. But at the end of the day, even, even people that have both parents in their lives, sometimes they just don't know because they're just, nobody taught them and they're just busy doing their thing. And so that the lack of financial education just keeps getting passed down generation to generation until someone finally says, you know what, I need to take the time to figure this out. And I need to learn that. Sometimes they need an agency also that's willing to spend a little bit of time with them and educate them a little bit on these kind of things. One of the biggest things that I see and have seen over the last 13 years, um, and I did this a couple of years before I started my own thing, so I'm about 15 years total in this world, but I see something over and over again which is, this is like, you want to talk about a bleeding neck. This is the ultimate bleeding neck scenario. This is the payday loan. The payday loan, when you look at the actual numbers, is actually somewhere between 600 to 800% interest. Now, let me stop so, you there for yes. a second, because some people may not know what, and I would be one of those. I, I see them advertised, but exactly what is a payday loan? A payday loan is basically a place that you can walk into and get a small loan amount, typically short term, but they're going to attach that to your paycheck. So whenever your paycheck comes in, it's kind of something where they're going to automatically ding your, your bank account um, based on your paydays. So they're essentially saying, okay, you get paid how much? You show your pay stub. Yes, I'm gainfully employed and all that. And they're like, okay, based on what your paycheck is, we'll give you X amount but you're kind of promising your future paychecks to them, or at least a portion of it. But because of the nature of it, and it's usually done weekly, you're usually charging their, their account weekly, it's very easy to just kind of say, well, we're only going to take this amount out per week. And they're like, well, that's, again, to your point earlier, I can afford that. It's just, they're just looking at the monthly payment or the weekly payment in this, in this example. But right. the reality is, is that the reality is, is that when you break it down, it's actually 800 percent interest when you look at it over a year now these are designed to be short term so you're only supposed to do it for a month or maybe two months and then you get out the problem is is that because of their predatory nature because of the fact that the interest is so high most people end up having to renew the loan so they might do it for a month but then they're like oh shoot if i pay this thing off i'm right back in the same situation that i was in i need to do another loan so they do another one and then they do another one. I have seen credit reports that are like 100 pages long. Why? Because every time that that loan renews, it adds another trade line. And it adds another trade line. And it adds another trade line. And mm. so before you know it, some people have these enormous credit reports. And it's that same stupid um, you know, payday loan that's on there over and over, refinance and refinance and refinance. And it's not until they talk to somebody like us that says, listen, I got some really painful news to explain to you here. That loan that you keep on refinancing that you've turned into your, essentially to your savings account has 800% interest attached to it. Did you know that? No, I had no idea. That's the reason why you don't have any money. That's the reason why you got more month at the end of the money. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's a it's a horrible situation that people get into, and sometimes I have to just reframe it. It's almost like taking someone and shaking them up. It's almost like an intervention. You have to raise the awareness on that one account and say, listen, we're not going to be able to move forward in any capacity at helping you with your finances until you get that one account under control. You've got to get rid of it. So what are we going to do? What's the game plan? Okay, when you get your tax return this year, you're not going to go buy a bunch of junk. You're not going to put stupid rims on your car. You're not going to go buy that, that designer purse that you want to wear to show off or what have you. If right. you're serious about improving your finances, you're going to make lifestyle changes. And what does that look like? It looks like you foregoing the things that you typically buy that you don't need, let's be honest. And you're going to take that and you're going to throw it at that stupid loan and you're going to get that thing off your back once and for all. And then we can actually get somewhere and then we can actually start moving forward. And a lot of times we have to tap into some psychological or emotional triggers, for example, mentioning their children. Do you want to have a better place for your kids? Yes or no? Yes, I do. Then you need to listen and take our advice and do something about this. We, 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 do, we do give a lot of tough love with what we do because that's what people need. Marco Salinas is our guest today. We're talking the tough stuff of money and credit and people who are in, in bad shape. Marco's an Amazon bestselling author. The book is The Small Business Banker, your blueprint for building business credit, taking your company over the tipping point. Um, to your point about people being self-employed and, and the gig economy today, whether you're an Uber driver, whether you do DoorDash, whatever it is that you do as a side hustle, um, what is your general sense of that in terms of, of people being able to, to manage that extra money and not get themselves into, into tax trouble by taking on those extra gigs where the taxes aren't taken out automatically by their employer. Do you see a lot of people come in that, that because they're in the gig economy, get themselves upside down tax wise? Um, yeah, I do. I do. And I think it's mostly because they don't realize that one of the good things about going that route is that now you're, you're, you're kind of like you're a 1099 person now, right? Right. Which, you know, in, in a nutshell, you're, you're in a sense, you're self-employed with that little gig. What that does for you on the good side is it opens up the door to all kinds of different opportunities to write things off. Yep. The problem is, is that again, they're so focused on just trying to make the extra money that they're not really giving enough attention, <clears throat> excuse me, to the tax ramifications. So they're not really telling themselves, well, I could buy this resource or this tool to help me to do this job better. And then I can write it off. Um, let's say that side hustle involves you using your cell phone. Can I write off my cell phone bill on this particular little side hustle? One of the biggest things that we preach is get some sort of a side hustle so you can finally open up the door to, to tax write-off benefits. And not doing so is a, a horrible mistake because you're basically leaving money on the table. You're paying taxes that you basically shouldn't. Um, in, the, in the best case scenario, people are even able to write off uh, mileage if they're driving around all over the place. Yep. They're able to even write off an, a, a, an entire vehicle expense if you do it right. Now, that's maybe a little bit further down the line when the business is gaining some traction or what have you. But I've seen side hustles turn into main hustles. Yep. And so 
these are the kind of doors that this opens. So yeah, I mean, if you're not aware, you know, go to Barnes and Noble, go to Amazon, purchase a book that talks about the basics of tax write-offs and, and being self-employed. There's books now that specialize in the gig economy and how you can benefit your, your tax burden on that. Go spend a few minutes and read about that stuff. I'm sure there's a vast amount of resources as well on YouTube, but you got to take a little bit of time to learn. It's super important. You know, I, I've talked to several people, uh, younger folks that, that come and go in my company and, and they, uh, we 1099 them, they, they come aboard as an independent contractor and, and they're upset because they don't get that tax refund at the end of the year. You know, they're, they're so conditioned to believe, oh, I'm getting this refund. What? I actually have to pay taxes. And, and it's changing their mental outlook. No, 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 you've been paying taxes all along without realizing Correct. it. You know, um, you, your company's called, you know, credit 360, you do the big turnaround for people. And, and we talked earlier, Marco, about these predatory, like payday loan companies, right? There are also, uh, news stories that, that come up every once in a while about predatory, uh, credit repair companies. How does that factor into, into your business, how what warning signs can you give people to avoid the bad guys and look for the good guys in in your world? Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic question. And when I got into this world 15 years ago, that was the very first thing that I encountered was um, there were there were news stories, there were um, word of mouth things. You know, I tried this and I gave the people money and they ripped me off. The thing about this world is that it's one of the easiest things in, in the world to sell this, in this kind of credit relief, debt relief space, because you, you could present yourself as the guy that's able to remove all of their problems. People might come to me and say, you know, I, I went through a life event and life got me down and I was struggling. And so now my credit score is tanked. Now I was working my butt off, right? I didn't, I didn't ask for this medical issue to come into my life. I didn't ask for my spouse to be unfaithful. And now, now I'm a one income home or what have you, right? There's all, there's so many different things that, you know, life events that trigger these financial problems. Prior to said financial problem, I was paying everything on time. I had an amazing credit score. So these are not people that are just like, ah, you know, I could care less about my financial responsibility. These are people that were working their butts off. Right. And then, and then life happened, right? So we have to be aware of the fact that these people already feel down in the dumps a lot of times because of that. They show up to the wrong person. The guy says, just pay me X and I'll make all your problems go away. Really? And so what's my credit score going to look like when I'm done? You know what? You'll, you'll, we'll get, you'll get an 800 credit score. We're going to erase everything from your credit report. Oh my gosh, where do I sign? And that's why, the, that's why these serpent types enter into this world because they figure out quickly that you can make a very quick buck right. by just simply telling people what they want to hear. The problem is, is that when, they, when it's time to fulfill on the back end, they're nowhere to be found because they were full of crap to begin with, right? Now, a couple of warning signs. There is a, there is a, uh, a federal law that's been on the books for a very, very long time called the Credit Repair Organizations Act. We call it CROA. And it has those, those rules spelled out. This thing came, came about in the 90s. So it's been around for a while. 
And it, and it basically says things like, number one, you cannot charge up front for credit restoration services. You have to do the work first and then charge after. So if they're telling you, hey, give me $1,500, big warning sign. If there's no, obviously, if there's no agreement, if there's no legal contract to sign, that's a big red flag. There's sure. a document that has to be included in there, consumer, consumer rights to credit repair, essentially, in a nutshell, is what it says. And it, you know, it goes over those things. It says you shouldn't have to pay up front, you know, this, that, and the other. It's got kind of those rules outlined. We have to give every person a copy of that when they sign that agreement. And so these are the kind of things that are out there that need to be there. But most people are in such a position of desperation that they don't really take the time to look into all that. They're just like, please make, make my problems go away. And that's where, unfortunately, they do enter into those type of, uh, of scenarios where they get taken advantage of. So um, it, is, it is kind of a prevalent thing, but I will say in the last 15 years, it has also gotten a lot better. Good. There, there, are, there are way more companies out here now that are doing things right and really emphasizing that. They've got great ratings with the Better Business Bureau. You can actually check their track records. Obviously, we have Google reviews now and Facebook reviews that, that are, you know, written by real people that went through it. You know, and you may get one or two that say, I had a bad experience. That's normal. You're not going to, you know. Can't please everybody. You can't please every single person. But if 90% of the results are good, then you know that that's a really good company that maybe just had one or two situations where things just didn't go right. And it's not always the company. Sometimes people will leave you a bad review because they don't even want to pay their bill for crying out loud. So you just have to kind of take all that into consideration, but things have definitely gotten better. Just do a little bit of research and don't, don't just fork the money over all up front without doing some sort of, of research on that particular company. And you'll be, you should be fine. How closely do you advise people to look at their medical bills? I, I read a lot that medical billing is just totally screwed up and it's often wrong. And, and I wonder as you take on clients and you try to help them unwind their credit uh, mistakes and, and they're, you know, they're upside down in a bunch of different ways. Does medical billing factor into what you do a lot? It does, it does, but that is another category that's getting better. There was a recent uh, rule change that basically says that any collections that are on your report that are medical, that are under $500, do not count against your credit score any longer. So it's almost like when, it's, when, the, when, the, when the scoring algorithm sees that on there, it ignores it if it's under 500 bucks. And then here, I want to say in the next 24 months, the next phase of that is going to actually roll out just a total elimination of all medical debt. So any kind of a medical debt that shows up on a report will not be computed in the near future. So that is something that is, that is absolutely 100% changing because I think people are finally realizing like, you know, Hey, the majority of this medical debt was from one incident. You got into a car accident. There was a, right. Um, a major surgery, right? Is that really an indication of your credit worthiness? Shouldn't you know, be. The fact it that should all be a one-time life of all of, Correct. And I think that's why that they are starting to make these changes because that's not really part of the equation of you being responsible and you managing your credit cards and you living within your means because typically those medical situations were things that showed up 
kind of unexpected and, and many times, of course, out of your control, right? And so I think they're, they are getting a little bit better about recognizing some of those human elements. Let me tell you, when we first got into this, the credit report was just plain and simple black and white. None of the life event stuff was taken in consideration whatsoever. It was just, do you pay your stuff on time or not? And, and do you have any collections, yes or no? And man, there's your score. So it's good to see that some of those things are evolving and are changing. And now some of these companies are also looking at other, um, other, other items that they could consider credit worthiness. It's not always just 100% your credit score. And so I think that's a good thing because um, it's kind of like saying, hey, your IQ is the only thing that matters. Well, I know people that are not necessarily book smart, but street smart has its place too. You sure. know? I know people that, are, that have a high EQ. They're very good about being in touch with other people's emotions, whereas the guy with the high IQ, I mean, it's like talking to a wall sometimes, right? And so it's not the only factor. We've got to evolve, and we've got to be able to see things through different scenarios and different lights. And I think credit is one of those. You know, I'm based here in Washington, D.C. That's where our studios are. And one of the big stories uh, here for the last several months is this debate mark over uh, student loan forgiveness. Um, and, and it's really fallen down along party lines. I wonder, as a guy that is the head of Credit 360, and you deal with student loans all the time, don't want you to weigh in politically if you don't want to, but what's your take on, on student loan forgiveness? Got to ask the question. Yeah. yeah, no, I think it's a great question. And, and personally, Burke, I don't think it's a political answer. Obviously, student loans have been politicized. There's no question about that. I am a very big proponent of small government. I think the government needs to get out of the way of the majority of things that we do, including the Department of Education. And so when the government backs off, I believe that we as the people do better because, you know, bureaucrats typically get a little bit of power and then they just want more and more and more and more. Right. And I think... I think personally they are to blame for the reason why the student loan situation is out of control because they started subsidizing those loans. And then the colleges says, well, we can charge whatever the heck we want because the government's got our back. And so if you look at the little chart that shows, you know, inflation, all these things, student loans are always the ones that are like off the chart. Right. And it's absolutely 100% because of the government's involvement in these things. And I, and I study, you know, some of these uh, really intelligent economists like Thomas Sowell, and he talks about how even, even in places like New York City, when the government got involved with rent control, it screwed up the whole thing. So again, as a general rule, when the government touches these things, I think that it causes bigger, bigger problems. Does the government have its place? Absolutely. Should the government provide certain safety nets and certain levels of help? Absolutely. That's part of a a, pro, a progressing culture, a progressing society is to have different levels of help, but we have to be aware and cognizant of those limitations, I think. So when it comes to student loans, I think a little bit of help is fair. I actually think a little bit of help is fair, but then the question becomes, well, how much is a little bit, right? right. And so I would say, okay, you're offering 10 grand, at least it's something. For some people that does a lot, for others it doesn't do much, but at least it's something. But we also have to be aware of what does a forgiveness uh, do to the bigger 
scale of economy. We've already got inflation. Is that going to make things worse? It could. It actually could in the bigger in the bigger scope. Uh, Americans are already really feeling the pinch with inflation. A lot of that had to do with what we had to do to help people during COVID, right? And so, but we we do need to be extremely careful about these things going forward because on a micro level, it helps. Hey, man, I got $10,000 wiped off of my thing, and now I can move forward and, and breathe a little easier. But in a macro level, it could actually cause more damage to all of us, right? Hmm. So I think we obviously have to be extremely careful with that. I'm okay with a little bit of help, at least acknowledge that, hey, me, Mr. Government, I caused a lot of this damage, so I need to, you know, I need to help out at least a little bit here. But I don't agree with the concept of wiping it all out. I really think that that's a big problem because, again, politicians like to use certain terms and say things in a certain way that sounds better than what it is. And it's both sides. Both sides yep. absolutely do that. That's yep. the political game. You do that. You play, you play those word, you know, the little word games to, to confuse people and to make things sound better than what they really are. But I will absolutely say that forgiveness of the entire debt means that the taxpayer is forgiving that debt. A lot of times people confuse saying the government's going to pay X, Y, Z off. But where does the government get its money? It gets it from us. It's the taxpayer that's actually doing that. So there's no government forgiveness of anything. It's always taxpayer forgiveness of things. And so that's why I say there's, it's not a simple thing. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to take into consideration. But if you're asking for my very, very humble opinion, I think some is okay. I don't like the idea of wiping it all out. I think that would be irresponsible. I certainly empathize with people in their, in their situations. Again, I've been, I've been helping people for the last 15 years with these issues. I'm on, I'm, I'm on the front line, so to speak. But I also know that we can't just look at things always on a micro level. We do need to be aware of maybe some of the bigger implications. And we also need to be aware of what kind of effect does something have, not just today, but tomorrow. Just because it doesn't affect you now doesn't mean you shouldn't care because it will affect your kids or, your, or potentially your grandkids. So let's, let's try to be responsible in decisions that affect us long term, not just today. So there's my two cents, Bert. How did you get into this? Were you one of those people that had really jacked up credit at one point and you needed to dig yourself out? Or how did you come to, to be the Credit 360 guy? I did. Yeah, I absolutely did. Life happened to me in many ways through several different um, life, you know, life setbacks, let's call them. Um, and I ended up discovering Dave Ramsey. We all know who Dave Ramsey is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably around 2005, 2006, I read the Total Money Makeover, um, and you know it, it was it was a it was a solid system to help me focus on getting out of debt. And so one of his recommendations back then, recommendations back then, this was before the gig economy, was you should just deliver pizza to help bring in some extra cash and pay off your sure. debt. So Power I did wash a house. That was my deliver pizza. That was my second job. I was getting gazelle intense, as he calls it. And we were really focusing. We moved, my wife, and, and we had two little ones at the time. We moved out, and we actually moved in with family, which was very difficult. But we were trying to make drastic changes. We moved out, and then I got two jobs. I actually had three jobs for a period of time because I was just so set on trying to get all that debt out of the way. So I guess you could say I really lived it. I know exactly what it felt like to go through those 
difficult moments, both debt-wise as well as credit-wise, because the credit took a hit. And then I was actually in the collections world, believe it or not. Accidentally found myself spending several years as a bill collector. Uh, it's not something that you tell yourself, I'm going to go do that. It just kind of happens. Right. And then, and then you kind of climb the ladder, so to speak, very quickly because, you know, there's not a whole ton of people that want to do that. And then before I knew it, it was kind of deeply in that world. And then all of a sudden, this opportunity presented itself with a family members uh, uh, of, of, I should say, a friend of the family that had a credit repair business in Austin, Texas. And um, so, you know, kind of explained to me what it is. I didn't, I didn't have a clue what any of that stuff was, what credit repair was. I didn't know. I mean, I could put those two, two, two words together and get a basic idea, but I didn't <laughs> understand the details, you know? So it was explained to me and I really fell in love with it immediately because I saw it as an opportunity to switch teams. I went from the bad guy as a bill collector to the good guy who was fighting against the collection agencies, the credit bureaus and, you know, the big banks and helping people to get out of debt and all these different things and improve their credit score. And ultimately for the purpose of, of buying a home. And so I fell so hard for it. And I ended up linking up with this, with that particular company in Austin. I went all in and then um, started doing it. And basically, long story short, after about nine months of doing it for the other guy, full-time, I did it part-time for about a year, but then full-time for about nine months, um, things kind of came to a head and had some problems with the guy that was, that was running that company. Um, and I ended up partnering up with uh, one of the guys that worked for him. He had been working for him for several years, and he and I decided that we would go ahead and try to start our own. And, and that's what we did. And, and actually, I'm almost at my anniversary here. March the 10th of 2010 was our launch date. So I'm coming up here on my 13-year anniversary next week. Fantastic. Congratulations. One more question before I Thank let you, you jump. If someone is looking for uh, credit counseling, maybe they're listening right now and, and they say, look, that's me. I've got all of this bad debt and it's, I'm suffering and I'm struggling and I need to find a reputable credit relief company. How do you separate out the good guys from the bad guys? You mentioned Better Business Bureau, looking them up online. Are there other uh, things that you would recommend that, that people do to suss out the reputable companies? Yeah, and like I said, a lot of it has to do with check the reviews, make sure that the reviews are on the up and up. Um, a lot of times when, when a company has a habit of burning people Nowadays, it's so easy to just jump on your phone and go on there and, and make sure that it's known, that others can know. So I, I do put a, a decent amount of credence in those um, Google reviews. In those reviews. Yep. Yeah. And so go to the Better Business Bureau. They have a function there to leave reviews. I think that's a pretty good place to start for whatever company you're looking for. If you go there and the company has an F rating, run the other way. Sure. You know what I mean? run the other direction and read the, read the reviews and check the Google reviews and check the Facebook reviews. And, and again, you can even go so far as to do a consultation with them. They'll all give you a free consultation and that's your chance to find out, okay, are they trying to charge me a large sum of money up front? Are they asking me for two grand up front? If they're asking for stuff like that, run the other direction. Now they can charge a reasonable setup fee and things like that. As long as they, wait two or three days to charge it so that they kind of set up your account first and then they run that payment a few days after 
A lot of companies call that the first work fee. And so that's perfectly fine. But I'm talking about several thousand dollars or even a thousand dollars up front. Um, you, those are the ones that you are, are very likely going to, going to give you a problem. If people want to talk to you uh, and get to you or find out more about your company, how do they find you online? Yeah, zerodowncreditrepair.com. So we take so much pride in this concept of not charging up front that we revolve the whole pro- program around that. So zerodowncreditrepair.com will uh, send you to one of, our, one of our websites that give you information about you know, why we're so compliant. We have an A-plus BBB rating. We have nothing but, you know, five-star reviews, with the exception, again, of one or two people that, that just we couldn't, we couldn't make them happy no matter what we did. Uh, but an overwhelming amount of positive reviews over the last, um, again, 13 years. That's, that's a, not an easy tax for any business, and we take a lot of pride in the fact that we do people right in that regard. Marco Salinas, thank you for your time today and being so generous with your advice. I appreciate it. Pleasure's all mine, Burke. Thanks so much for having me. That's Marco Salinas, Director of Financial Recovery Center in San Antonio, Texas. Remember the Alamo. And President of Credit 360 Consulting. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you, SpeakerMatch.com, for sponsoring our Big Time Talker podcast. From our studios here in Washington, D.C., I'm Burke Allen. Thanks for listening. Now go out and make it a great day. Bye, everybody.